The Revision Speaker Series is a Guildhouse initiative bringing together creative minds from around the globe to discuss contemporary arts practice. Revision has been curated as a COVID response, enhancing connectivity, sustainability and well-being across the arts community. This podcast is an audio recording from a live Zoom session recorded on Ghana Country. Hello everybody. I'm very pleased to introduce the panel session, Critical Peer Conversations, and our speakers, Shannon Goodwin, Director of Bus Projects and Editor of Permanent Recession, a handbook on art, labour and circumstance, will prompt a conversation with our panellists. He's chair of this session. Elias Alavi, who works across poetry and visual art, addressing personal yet global issues around displacement, trauma, memory and identity. And Kay Abood, through installation, performance and garment making, investigates the nature of labour with its economic, repetitive and somatic properties and how both work connects and separates us. Ramesh Mariyanithi Andron is an award-winning contemporary artist working within figurative sculpture, exploring the politics of sex, the monument, gender and religion. So thank you, Shannon, Elias, Kay and Ramesh for speaking with us this evening. And I hand it over to you, Shannon. Wonderful. Check, check, check. Am I coming through right, Debbie? Can you give me a thumbs yes. up at least? Great. Yes, thank you. Excellent. No, it is a pleasure. It is a pleasure to be with everyone and to, um, uh, I guess, we're finding these moments of uh, a real world and virtual um, connection um, and uh, finding, I guess, elements of joy and uh, and nourishment from, from each in their particular way. So um, I'm going to try to uh, uh, keep myself from rambling too much by reading components and then it'll open up into discussion as we go. So thank you for letting me participate in the discussion and help tease out some of the ideas and um, that are propositioned within the premise of the talk. I'm speaking from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people. I pay my respects also to elders past, present and emerging and to any First Nations people who might be joining us this evening um, as part of this group. Um, the fact that I work and, and, and make, make art and, um, and help others make art on stolen land is something that I, I keep in the forefront of my mind and um, as I develop programs and, um, and work towards the future, especially in this new campus here where, 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 where I'm sort of working at Collingwood Yards, um, that's really something that we, we dwell on. Um, if my light goes off, it's because I'm uh, in a room at these campuses that, that tries to save power. So I'm in a wave at various points. It's not to grow attention. It's to simply keep the light on um, here. So... So firstly, uh, I thought we could enter the, the conversation um, as it's a, it's a real pleasure to be speaking with, with these other panellists. It's a real privilege for me to really, uh, my role is really to pass the mic and try to set up a, a few zones of conversation in which these um, very wise uh, creative people can, um, can give their perspective. So I thought first to talk about terms, right? So um, I thought it might be productive to think about terminology and the way we um, establish our various, to, to establish our various perspectives before we get too far into the conversation. I've had a relationship with the term critical, right? So in this context about critical peer relationships, um, I've had, I've had a, a sort of a relationship with that developed through my experience in the controlled studio environment of art school. And I think that's a very particular thing. So I wondered, and I'm going to kind of ask you all to elaborate a bit on how we feel about this word, this the word critical, um, and particularly as it applies to contemporary art practice. And I thought perhaps I can, um, in, in a sense, pass the mic to Ramesh first, because this, this sort of inquiry into terminology came up in, um, in some of our email exchanges before the talk. And so I wanted to sort of kick off and, and perhaps hear, hear um, your thoughts on the term critical uh, and the appropriate frameworks for its use in the context of art. And please don't let my, my setup for the question uh, dictate where you go with it. But, um, yeah, I just thought I'd pass the, pass the mic over and see what you thought. No, that's good. Um, no, I think it's really interesting when we 
think about these terms. And I think, you know, language is a really fruitful thing to start unpacking because I think what I've found, especially if you read a lot of art, you experience a lot of art, these terms get used so much. And I think a lot of the times they get divorced from, I guess, their meaning or the power of their application. And I think critical is one of those words. I think as contemporary artists or, you know, practitioners practicing in a kind of global context where we're, you know, aware of um, power imbalances and different plights of different peoples in the world, I think we're kind of expected to be critical in lots of capacities. And I think in the context of visual culture, I think one of the primary expectations around criticality is to be able to have a historical and ethical framework around what you're doing, essentially. And I think that's almost a baseline in which other models of criticality positioned around in this kind of making culture. I could elaborate on what that means, but I think others might have a perspective on that too. Well, maybe, um, I mean, uh, you know, again, please um, feel free to, um, uh, for anyone else at any point to jump in, but I guess I've, um, and and also, Elias, we maybe go on to to you there, and and of course, you can can respond uh, as well to to points that Ramesh has brought up there, but I thought it might be interesting to to touch on your international um, uh, perspective and experience, especially as someone who comes at this conversation as, as a poet and as a visual artist, and you're sort of known for, for those things, of course, some in sort of a various degrees. So I wondered, like, how and if the term critical is a term you find useful in your peer mentorship-mentee relationships um, in either art form? Thank you, Shannon. Well, my understanding of critical um, conversations and uh, peer critical conversations is is um, going back to um, to my experience of of attending uh, poetry circles while I was in Iran and Afghanistan. And I feel, although that although there are so many uh, similarities, but there are some differences in a way that there is like really open to conversations. In a way, when you present a poem, you would get quite uh, quite quite different questions and also different feedback and without so much of hesitation of um you might get even offended by some of the for, for some of the comments so and in a way it's like there's so much questioning happening rather than rather than kind of judgment or or even finding answers and 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 um i mean the way i find it like a really uh, good critical conversation is to be really trying to move the work uh, further and, and kind of challenge you and then trying to um, uh, trying to make your your idea more clear and kind of like get rich uh, make your work more richer in in terms of uh, expression or 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 uh, presentation and somehow I feel like in uh, at least like my experience in in, in Australia I've been there's a bit of a sensitivity around um, and those critical conversations there's been and many would hold some of those comments um, many would um, I mean trying to be polite and safe and and um, and and not offend you uh, which I find like I learned a lot from those who really um, honestly and, and and kind of gave me quite sometimes harsh um, harsh uh, feedback um, but I found them really really interesting I think um, for the moment that would be enough. And I think I think you're right there to talk about those different um, uh, environments and how um, I guess levels of criticality can be they can be can brought to those forums depending on the amount of trust one has in that in that group that's come together and the amount of 
of um, uh, the, the way that a kind of a safe zone has been established when those groups come together. And I thought um, to come to, to Kaya's um, at the end I, um, of this, this section, um, I thought maybe there was a similarity in some of those, uh, what would I say, some of those um, uh, peer groups that we, we seek out because I, I guess I've found that I've, I've gravitated towards more um, quite caring and supportive peer networks um, where I can um, bring a certain amount of vulnerability. It doesn't mean sometimes that doesn't mean that feedback is uh, robust. Um, but um, I, I thought, Kay, I wondered um, how you see this term critical in your um, peer relationships and whether it's a framework you even relate to, I suppose. Yeah, I um, do seek out caring and supportive peer networks. I guess, you know, this stems from my early experiences of art school where the cohort who I went through with, um, we formed a tight-knit group throughout our undergrad degree and our lecturers were all quite nurturing and really encouraging. Um, I feel that I do have peer relationships today that are quite similar to these early days. And when you're sharing your work with others, you are vulnerable. And I do share my work and ideas with peers who I feel safe with and who I allow myself to be vulnerable with. You know, I trust and value their opinions and you know, critical thinking toward my work. So I guess it's, you know, about allowing myself to be vulnerable but not fearful when peers do challenge the work that I make. That's, yeah, that's, um, yes, I, I, I sense that and I think that's quite a sincere um, thing that I think a, a lot of us sort of seek out in, in various ways in, in these groups. So I thought that's a really nice lead-in because I wanted to interrogate a little more the impact of of art school, because I think in in the context of, of Australia, this is this is a really sort of potent set of, of institutions. Um, so as I as because as I commented in that first one, my formative experiences of peer relationships in the in in the arts is intrinsically linked to communities of practice initiated at art school, and I think um, you know this is, this is something just to kind of articulate and understand because the impacts and influences of various schools in this country kind of needs to be addressed in in various ways in terms of. Um, not only this discussion about critical peer relationships, but also, um, you know, the way that the art world is sort of formed, is structured, the kind of art histories that are dealt with, the economic structures that are, are sort of, there's my thing, um, uh, uh, sort of um, uh, sort of uh, laid out as the appropriate um, pathway for artists. So these can be positive reading, reading grounds for camaraderie and provide access to facilities and knowledge networks and relationships with, men, you know, mentorships with artist teachers. But of course, they also act as gatekeepers for the art world and, um, and I guess this, this really has impact on artists who, who can't access these facilities or these networks and resources or who even feel unwelcome within these, these environments. Elias, I thought we could actually, um, given that there's kind of an interesting context for you at the moment, you, you kind of arrived in Australia just as I was heading out of my honours year in about 2007. So I suppose you'll probably you know, bring a certain kind of um, a perspective on the, on the Australian academic context now through your, your various um, uh, engagement with study and postgraduate. But now, of course, you're you're at the Chelsea College of Art, and I wonder, uh, I, yeah, I wonder what that the experiences of these different learning institutions and how that affects um, your um, yeah your, your peer networks at, at this point in your life. Thank you. Well, I, I did a master's degree at the UniSA here in Adelaide, and and one of the amazing um, sessions was uh, every week we had uh, silent critics, so everyone would. Um, um, uh, would show us their work, and and the entire group would uh, would talk about it for for about an hour or more, and um, 
which I find it like really, really valuable, uh, and which which we didn't have that during the um, bachelor degree. In um, in the in, at the Chelsea College of Arts, uh, which I was only for six months because and then I had to return because of the pandemic, but. Um, one of the great uh, things they had was to every two months they would they would have a phase of a uh, kind of a development phase. So you would show your work and then they would invite uh, especially students from previous years and they would come and comment about your work and and then also um, in a way sometimes you would have two or three chance of um, showing your work before the final exhibition say every six months it would uh, you would be meant to have a big exhibition and then at the at the end of the year um which which i find it very interesting and somehow perhaps in in um in adelaide where i live um we we had a few places where we, we had a um a space called as a project space where kind of to uh, show your um show your work in progress but um but I think I feel we're still lacking that kind of platforms more to uh, maybe maybe in performing arts, um, there's more um, uh, kind of acceptance of uh, even receiving some funds for those um, um, for those development development phase. And somehow somehow I feel that we need in visual arts as well. Um, yeah, so one of the um, obviously places like London being a being a very um, big city, um, we had more broad uh, perspectives and 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 people coming from different places and and in London in in Adelaide is quite closed uh, um, and for me as an artist of of color, I feel sometimes um, you receive some feedback but they don't have maybe enough those reference points um, especially those uh, ref reference to the culture or or um, um, yeah, but 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 in London um, that was quite different. Very interesting. And I thought so. So when I when I'm looking to to K next, I think some of the the things you touched on in your previous point, I guess, are relevant to this section. But I guess maybe you, you know you've already kind of talked about potentially how those um, those peer networks have sort of extended out from that, that those those studies at BCA. And I wondered maybe then if I'm building on that because we've already touched on that. I wonder. Did those strategies of forming relationships mean that you've sought out kind of new, um, new kind of what I say, new communities of peers over time, depending on either the work you're making or the circumstances you're in, or has or has it been in a sense a, just a long continuum of, of those original art school relationships? I wondered if you can comment a bit on that. Yeah, I still am in contact with a couple of friends from art school, but in particular, I have a good friend who I made in undergrad. He is still my art school bestie uh, to this day. And, you know, our friendship spans 17 years this year. And I speak to him regularly about art and life. But I guess, you know, my community currently is the other studio artists at Gertrude. And we see each other almost every day. We have conversations in the corridor. Some artists, you know, have tighter relationships with other artists um, and we have conversations in our studios. But um, I guess my closest sort of network at the moment is the community at Gertrude. And I think that's that's something we'll touch on, especially when we get to the point of when we talk um, a bit more about the studio context as maybe a, 
a very interesting um, example of where these kind of these peer relationships emerge and maybe also some of the the places where trust can be established um, so that those critical conversations can be had in a, in a way that, you know, opens up some, some potentially difficult terrain. Ramesh, I, I guess I um, wanted to talk again um, to, to see what your experience with, say, the um, UNSW uh, was. And I think, you know, it, it just sort of um, reminded me because I guess I, you know, uh, through a number of things, you know, you commented not only, I suppose, on potentially um, some of the, the, the friendship groups or the networks that came out of that, but also I guess it gives you access to, um, you know, um, scales of facility and these kind of things, which maybe um, uh, still um, mean they stay within the orbit of a practice over a longer period of time. I wondered if you could talk about the influences of that learning institution on your work and, your, and, and I guess the, the peers, that the peer relationships that have extended from that. I think there's a lot to talk about there, but I think if we speak maybe more structurally in a way, like if we start out and kind of move in, I think it's somewhat important to acknowledge that, you know, art school and tertiary education is, you know, the primary mode in which artists have vocational training. Um, I'm not saying it's the only way, of course, there are other, um, you know, systems of learning and teaching and knowledge that are equivalent um, and have the same, you know, institutionally sanctioned things or either culturally sanctioned um, ways of learning and teaching but I think you know especially where we are it happens to be that you know tertiary education is the primary way artists are trained um, and I think it's actually important to think about the kinds of pedagogy and that you know universities often promote and I think you know often you know universities especially really large universities talk about things like graduate attributes and the terminology that's often used in these you know, graduate terms like graduate attributes would be, you know, global citizens, ethical, critical comes up. And I think what's interesting about, you know, pedagogy is that there's an understanding that critical skills actually need to be developed. They don't just exist. So I think people need to actually be trained to engage critically um, with culture, with science, with anything really. And I think one of the goals of art education is to train people to engage critically with visual culture broadly. But I think if we actually think about what critical means, um, I think people can be a bit disturbed by the term critical because I think people have this belief that it is about, you know, highlighting a positive or a negative attribute of an artwork. When I don't actually think it is. Um, I think that's an element of criticality, but I think often criticality is being able to understand a framework of intention around what someone's doing um, and then being able to engage with that from that position. And if I came back to that point about the fact that, you know, critical skills are actually things that have to be developed and trained and, you know, given attention to over time, um, I think a really important part of being an artist is having some kind of filtration and not just accepting anybody's opinion on your work. Um, and that's something I think because, you know, like just from a human level, I think sometimes what people say about your work says more about them than you or the actual object in front of you. And I think being able to actually process engagement is another element of a critical conversation, which I think is really hard as an artist as well because I think even if you're kind of doing you know geometric abstraction I think most people's work is still personal and I think there's this belief that you know some kind of comment about the artwork is a comment about the person so there's this conflation of the artwork and the artist so I think in some ways there's also an element of unlearning that needs to happen when people start practicing professionally 
Because I think in a university context, there's often a very hierarchical model where there's this lecturer that, you know, um, students often, you know, they believe they'll take their word as gospel a lot of the time. But I think more like contemporary models of teaching are a bit more centred around peer exchange and acknowledging that, you know, you actually need generational, cultural, gender diversity as part of a discussion around artwork to actually allow some kind of critical framework to emerge. And I think my experience as an artist, a student and an educator has kind of revealed that, like if I'm, you know, in a classroom, it's quite, I find it quite important to decenter myself as the teacher, you know, because, you know, you think historically about the way in which knowledge was transferred in places like, you know, and there was often a very hierarchical model was that imparting wisdom. But I think the beauty about art practice is that, you know, engagement can be, you know, distributed from a number of levels. But um, I think what I took from art school the most is actually being able to find and select the few people whose critical opinions matter to you the most and being able to engage with them primarily. And that sounds a little bit, I don't know, it might sound a little bit elitist, but it's probably more about acknowledging that I think artists and their works, I think, can often be very fragile. And, you know, sometimes you're making works in the studio and I think you actually need to spend time developing meaningful relationships to have critical conversations rather than, like, I'm not the kind of person who would go into a blind criticism with my work with people I don't know, for example. I kind of want a bit of context to the positions people were coming from. So that's how I have, that's what I took from art school. It was kind of being able to find like-minded people that I respected to engage with. That's fantastic. What a great answer. I'm glad we got that on record. You can, people can watch back and unpack um, the layers of that response. That was really wonderful. And so, and maybe it does, does relate to kind of the, the next question in a way of, in terms of who's, who, what, what kind of relationships to seek out. And I wanted to push back a little bit from the academy to consider uh, how we may have sought out connections with other practitioners, forming in the process other types of, of mentorships or apprenticeships or forms of working relationship that are based on intergenerational knowledge sharing. Elias, I thought um, maybe I, I was reading sort of various things that, that potentially might, might have been um, uh, key moments of, of influence in the past and maybe at the moment in terms of, of engagement with other practitioners. And one of the notes that w- um, was wondered if you could comment a little bit on the encouragement that the artist Hussein Balamanish gave you in, in terms of um, initiating creative work or perhaps confidence building in terms of, of setting out on a path. And the other point perhaps that, that Debbie mentioned was that you're collaborating with Khalid Sabsabi at the moment. I think Guildhouse is facilitating uh, that process. And so I thought maybe there are two points in time that maybe I could ask you to comment on a little bit in terms of how those were influential relationships. Yeah, actually, when I uh, when I arrived to uh, arrived to Adelaide uh, in 2007, I wasn't really sure even to um, to go to art school, and and then uh, quite accidentally I met uh, Hossein in an exhibition, and in a way him being very welcoming, quite uh, open to um, to talk about art, and I did tell him like I like I I love drawing and I'm doing some art uh, art, but not professionally, and even he invited me to to um, to his studio and and. I think that kind of genuine uh, encouragement really, um, yeah, really helped me um, um, a lot to feel that actually I can, um, I can bring my language into 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 work. I, I can. I'm, the stories I have, the 
and the experiences I have are valued and, and uh, seeing his work and, and how especially he used text in a lot of his work, used poetry in his work. Um, so, so that was really, really encouraging and, and really, um, and also even later, um, we, we kind of formed that uh, friendship in a way. And, and as uh, Ramesh mentioned, like it's, it's, um, it's not, uh, not in a way of, um, one person is the master and another one learning from it. It's more of a friendship and all, all and and even I ask him to write me support letters, which is quite an important uh, thing for for um, for grant applications. And and I do know um, friends who are actually struggling to have those um, those artists or or lecturers to to write uh, support letters. And um, and then also with 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 Sabsabi, um, the same has been. Um, really, really great that opportunity uh, with Guildhouse, and I feel like sometimes my work is interpreted um, uh, quite differently as as I as I meant to. Uh, somehow, it's been kind of uh, described as Islamic work, or if I use text, and and uh, many would say, oh, it might be Arabic, or is it has any relation to their religion? And for example, I have a body of work which is called Halal, and um, although it has that very um, small re reference to the um, to the uh, uh, to the uh, religion text but but it's entirely different work and and and, and for someone with uh, uh, someone like Khaled, uh, Khaled literally he would understand my work um, immediately and and he would he he kind of having those um, lived experience of um, if we using this text um, what does it mean you know and um, so that's been that's been really um, yeah, confidence building at the same time, um, feeling that those conversation about the ideas behind the work, because you feel that um, you both um, understand what's happening in Middle East, and as as lots of our work are are um, are um, have their similar um, themes. Um, so yeah, so that's. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe I get I get um, some of the feedback from other curators in terms of the techniques and. And in terms of the mediums, but in terms of the um, the themes and and the um, and the ideas behind the work, I feel much more. Um, yeah, I, I feel much more. I, I get much more from someone like Hussein and and, and Khaled. Wonderful. Um, the um, I was just plotting out how we might jump on from that and make the most of our remaining minutes. I can indulge in a uh, in everything I'd love to to get across um, today. So I thought maybe I could blend a, a couple of these these final uh, points. That the last sort of um, uh, zone talks a bit about about studios and um, and I, I wanted to to perhaps ask um, Kay a little bit about both forms of mentorship, but also potentially how that very specific environment of of Gertrude has. Um, has provided a kind of a context for, um, I guess, for not only the peer relationship she's also talked about, but also, I suppose, um, the the infrastructure of a site like Gertrude as a as a studio context. So I'm going to kind of blend that a little bit and ask and and ask Kay um, a little bit about perhaps the particular support that a place like Gertrude provides to artists um, uh, during, say, a, a pandemic like the one that 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 I know was was quite impactful. We we just heard a little bit before um before we came live about how your, your residency was extended but i wonder with that with that site i wonder what um support is provided to to artists in a site like that during a, a moment like that and i wonder if it, if it again creates a certain kind of um 
context with these kind of critical peer discussions, potentially mentorships, uh, mentorship aspects kind of flow through a site like that. Would you mind talking a bit about more about that context in terms of a yeah. studio environment? Yeah, sure. I feel that Gertrude is an incredibly supportive environment and you know, it has a lot to do with the culture that the directors and staff of the organisation have created for us. 2020 was such a horrendous year and, you know, the pandemic has been very disruptive to our studio practices and working lives, like it has been and continues to be for the rest of the world. Gertrude fully subsidised our studio fees from April to December in 2020. They also, you know, created opportunities for artists by, you know, commissioning posters and online writing through to running artist-led Zoom education workshops and also supported a conversational podcast to, you know, reconnect artists and reduce the loneliness during the worst parts of quarantine and social isolation. Um, we also had weekly catch-ups on Zoom every Friday afternoon during lockdown. So, you know, we were still very much in contact with each other and, you know, not physically seeing each other, but, you know, online. So, yeah, but we're back in the studios now and um, we had a brief sort of break which was, yeah, I think a couple of days. But, yeah, it has been quite disruptive. But, yeah, as I mentioned before, our studio residencies have been extended for 12 months. So, yeah, we get a bit of extra time to, you know, keep developing the work that we're making within the walls of our studios. And, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you for that insight. And I think it does kind of it, it does kind of continue to 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 relate to this kind of context in which these practices and conversations and critical relationships are sort of fostered. And I think you you know you can kind of bring critiques to kind of these um various the various power dynamics behind um behind each of the settings, whether they're the way that studio complexes are embedded within contemporary art, whether universities and, and their structures um, you know, have certain levels of, of privilege and, and, and um, that, but, but I think actually we've, we've kind of teased out some of that and, and Ramesh certainly um, uh, gave a kind of a multifaceted perspective into those um, contexts. I wanted to maybe, um, uh, you know, just ask to one more of, of Ramesh as well because of, of um, uh, trying to space out our, our perspectives here. And I kind of blend a little bit again as well. I'm trying to make sure that we can try to get um, a certain kind of uh, amount out of this last kind of question. Uh, and it's a bit again about terminologies in some ways. So the question that we're, we're kind, I'm kind of going to, going to try to kind of blend in was asking about talking about mentorships and thinking about whether in fact uh, terms like, like that actually um, suggest a certain power dynamic which is now, uh, which there are potentially other models of. Um, and I, th I wondered whether um, uh, that might lend into the to the final point as well. So kind of a, a conversation about whether um, forms of, of mentorship are now, um, what would I say, you know, become kind of complicated or obsolete in terms of, uh, of how um, uh, contemporary peer relationships are sort of being developed today. I, I maybe thought maybe I could, yeah, I could just kind of open up maybe a little bit uh, with Ramesh about that kind of, what would I say, the... Um, the relevance, I suppose, of, of these kind of terms at the moment and whether, in fact, we need to find new um, ways of describing uh, these, kind of, these kind of relationships to better represent the power dynamic shifts that are happening. 
I wondered, even though it's a bit of a complex one, I wondered um, maybe you could uh, just respond to the kind of um, uh, that, that premise. I think well, there's a few things I want to say. Um, I think the most important thing to kind of understand is that I think there is always high demand for, art, for artists to engage with people, other artists who have, in their minds, more experience than them. And I think that's essentially what it comes down to. It's about the fact that there's mystification all around all these different aspects around a professional art psychology. You know, it's people don't really understand how some artists are represented by certain commercial galleries, how some artists get Australia Council grants, how some are on the cover of magazines. And I think artists at an earlier stage in their career can actually identify artists who are maybe at a stage that they would like to be at, so they have experience, and another word is cachet. And I think access to that specific kind of knowledge is incredibly hard to come by in a formalised kind of way. And if we think about the presentation of art, one of the most formalised relationships we have is between artist and curator. However, I think the difference between an artist to an artist versus an artist to a curator is the fact that art practice is not always, I think there's, for example, there are like mystifying things in art practice, like intuition is core to lots of people's artwork um, and how they make things. But, you know, if you kind of said something like that to a, someone doing an interview or, you know, you were trying to come across a certain way and provide you know, some traction for your work curatorially. You don't want to sound airy-fairy. So I think artists engaging with artists is something that's in, in demand. So artists of different levels of experience. The other thing that I've found, though, is that I think lots of successful artists actually find it quite rewarding to um, develop relationships with artists who are at earlier stages in their career. And I think that's primarily due to the fact that I think being an artist, I think lots of successful artists love art. Like they want to go to galleries and see amazing artwork and that's what they're doing in their spare time. And I think acknowledging that the generations below you are the ones that are going to be in those galleries and that's what you kind of want to nurture. And I think what's interesting about creative or visual cultures is that there's there has historically always been some kind of um, presence of this kind of intergenerational exchange or of valuing around intergenerational exchange. But I think in terms of terminology, like I feel quite uncomfortable with the term mentor because I don't think the other person should be passive in any way. You know, I think you should, there needs to be an element of um, challenge sometimes or just acknowledging that yes, they may have some kind of mentor position, but you don't have to listen to them, if you know what I mean. Like you can, like it's not, up to them to dictate what you do. But I think some guidance, some advice is good. But in terms of terminology, if we go back to that, I think another key term that is kind of important when we're looking at this is this other term which gets chucked around a lot, which is professional development. And I think there's an expectation that mentorship leads to professional development. And when we think about what that is, I think it depends on what the artist is aiming to do what step A is and what step B is. And I think finding people who have experience with that and actually understand those kinds of invisible processes around getting from A to B is actually sometimes the only thing that gives you insight into how that happens. Amazing. I don't even want mm -hmm. you to get in the way of, of like letting that 
kind of stew that kind of co comment yeah. at the end. And maybe Debbie, we can just kind of see what else comes through the questions. Would that be a way for me to get out of the way of of uh, rambling <laughs> towards the end or spoiling that note? Not at all. I note that Melinda Rackham would like to ask a question. Here I am. <laughs> Hello. I've got a dog being naughty, so something might happen during this. Anyway, um, thanks. Great conversation. Um, I'm a I'm a different generation than a lot of the rest of you, the, the older generation. And um, you know, as people have been saying, that intergenerationality is like so important. And when I went to art school, you know, I I felt like I was just like a little sensitive petal. It was like if anyone said anything about my work, I'd be in, you know, I'd be crying and running away. And I've really had to toughen up. When I started to travel overseas, as um, has been spoken about, I was horrified at how people spoke to each other at conferences and, and exhibitions. But I realised that that criticality, that, feedback is vital, absolutely vital. And um, I've just written a book with Elvis Richardson, who I went to art school with 35 years ago. So, you know, great peer, you know, keeping in touch with the peers, on gender disparity in the arts. And I think when we're talking about support and peer criticality, there are two different things. It's like you need support, emotional support, but criticality is is incredibly important from an outside source. That's not you and that is not, um, I guess it's who do you want your audience to be? Sorry, this is a long rambling question. Who do you want your audience to be? Can your mum understand it? Does it mean something to someone in the street or do you have to have a PhD to understand this art practice? And it's like getting feedback from the audience that you want to reach with your practice. And I just want to say one more thing to all the women. If you're not getting offered opportunities and you're seeing men getting offered them, it's not you, it's the system. <laughs> and, um, and all the men here are going to get offered twice as many opportunities and make twice as much money as the women just because they're men. So you need to support each other in that. Over and out for me. Sorry, that wasn't a question. That's just throwing something else in about the way an art system works and, that, and that's the way it works in Australia. Yes, and I think the, um, uh, in fact, adding that towards this this context of critical conversations is really vital. So I think that's a really valuable um, perspective to bring in, and also just add to the portfolio of kind of the, the really the, the kind of perspectives on this on this point that we've had today. So yeah, thanks, Debbie, and thanks again for the comment. Thank you both. We had another question from Sarah asking, "How do you learn to give good critical feedback?" And oh, hang on, your computer's going a bit. Uh, funny there, Sarah. <laughs> and how? Do, uh, and what do you think makes productive, helpful, critical discussion? Thank you. Throw that out to all the speakers. I actually, I actually wondered if um, Alias, like, if if you had, because you talked a little bit about the kind of the kind of what would I say the cut and thrust of feedback around poetry, and I wondered if you had a comment about that. I feel um, if someone giving a um, constructive um, feedback you kind of feel it as well. It's If it's genuine enough and it's, it's honest, um, it's, um, you know, I mean, I have a, I have a, well, while I was in London, I met, a, I met a friend where she kind of sometimes even swore at me, kind of saying, look, this work is good, but it, why it's lacking in, in, in this part. And I do know that she's, She's um, she's she, she she doesn't want to hurt me. She wants uh, you know sometimes she's 
being harsh um, because because she likes me more. She wants me to saying, look, she, you need to you need to mm. develop further. And I think, as Ramesh mentioned, I also learned a lot from those conversations out of um, university or out of the formal um, space. You know, say um, a conversation or a beer or a tea, and and then that friendship uh, kind of helped me to understand that this person actually is is very um, it wants me uh, uh, wants me to grow. So uh, so I think um, I think being being open and being honest and and not judging the person or the work just in a way. I think is starting with questions, lots of questions would be best way. I actually also wondered if Kay, we talked a little bit about the kind of critic, uh, the kind of critical feedback or environment that I think you and and I crave ourselves. But I wondered how how do you interact with people when you're giving critical feedback? Are you likewise very kind, or do you bring a sort of a? <laughs> are you a much harsher critic than you would like to get yourself? I I feel like I'm still learning, you know, how to really give, you know, critical, constructive feedback that would, you know, obviously help an artist or, you know, yeah, whoever I was giving feedback to. But I I do, I feel like I am quite, you know, not soft, but more encouraging towards, yeah, I do work in a university so, yeah, I feel like in relation to how I went to art school and what was valuable for me in terms of, you know, our lecturers, um, and it was about being, you know, encouraged and nurtured. So I guess I, I take the same stance with my students. So, Ramesh, did you have anything to add to that? Um... That's all right, but I think what I've um, kind of, learnt over the years is that um, I think if you're an artist and you're seeking critical feedback, I actually think you also have a bit of responsibility as the artist seeking the feedback to actually have the right, have questions, right? So like there are different like ways you can actually invite people into the work. Um, You know, if someone said to me, do you like this? If I said to them, do you like this? I think the question would be, why would you, why do you like this? If you know what I mean? I think there's actually a bit of a to actually gather the critical feedback, I think, from another person, I think the artist also has to develop skills in engaging with that person to actually be able to understand the perspectives they're coming from. And I think the primary way of getting the right feedback is understanding what are the right questions to ask. If you just invited someone randomly to your studio and said, can you give me critical feedback, that's a bit like, sure. But if if someone said to you, if someone said to me, you know, um, I think my use of colour is registering in ways that are tonally not how I want them to. Can you come and engage with my paintings based on their colour or my use of colour? You know, I think that's a very clear framework that's provided. And so I think in a way, like, to get the feedback you want, it's about, you know, reflecting and thinking and being able to articulate and with, with clarity some questions. Shannon, can we throw that question back to you as a curator and director at BUSK in terms of how do you, if you don't mind, if, how do you engage in providing feedback and I guess especially when artists are at the point of installing an exhibition, there's quite a lot of vulnerability and uncertainty and excitement and quite a special relationship to to be working with an artist at that time. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that. So I suppose, again, I, I think um, a lot of what the ways that I'm most comfortable talking 
with with artists in that context is is as another artist in the critic in in a in a crit style scenario. So um, talking in ways that are enthusiastic about work and that test out different approaches to to whatever we're playing with in the, in the gallery. So uh, whether that is you know following a, a certain sort of you know narrative of critique as uh, in terms of the way that the way that formal elements are presented, what it makes me uh, experience as a viewer, the way that in, uh, the way that exhibition design has been thought through and potentially how this encounter will be thought of in many different ways. And so I think going on tangents of, of, um, of, of kind of, um, I guess, yeah, kind of exploring the different ways that their work is being deployed and potentially the way that that's, that's sort of read by a viewer. But, um, and so I think my, my approach is generally to be really supportive in that context. Um, and if I am giving, if there's a process of critique or critical feedback, it's done through a kind of an exploration of uh, an enthusiastic exploration of what's being presented, how it could be viewed and potentially what could be done if you're hitting brick walls in terms of, of different aspects. It's definitely talking it through in that way rather than potentially a mode which, you know, which some people are more comfortable, which, which is to give confident advice, right? This should be gone from this space. This is not working. That's not the way that I would approach it. More to say that this is, you know, potentially this is how this is what this element does. This is what this what I'm seeing in this work as an as a as a viewer, as another artist looking at this. I'm puzzled by this. This is what it makes me think. If you add this, I'm going to think it like I'm going to think about this. Do you want that to happen? And potentially it could, or potentially you might want to recalibrate in that way. The more difficult process is in some ways to to give, um, which I know is is a is a very valuable thing is to give critique around uh, around the open call process. And in terms of, of successful or unsuccessful applications, and I think that that's a process that that's fraught with emotion, and of course, um, uh, um, uh, often uh, a very difficult one to give authentic and genuine and useful feedback. It may be a conversation for another day, but I think that I just wanted to open up that, that that's something that really I think anyone who who manages an open call continues to wrestle with how to give good critical feedback on that. Thanks so much, and I think that's a really interesting point about open call. And Ramesh also mentioned. I guess being able to accept feedback or knowing what kind of framework you want that feedback in, and especially for open calls, many people will respond at a time as soon as they've received a, a no and be very quick to write a response asking exactly what feedback they can be given, but not necessarily provide a framework for what specifically they want to know. So I think that's a really interesting point. So thank you both so much. We do have another uh, question from Belle Howden. How can we think about or enact criticality joyfully, playfully with levity? I will. I will see if anyone has an initial response about about, about that. I saw Ramesh than... smile, so I wonder if. I just think I think humour is one of the good things um, that can be brought into like critical conversations. That's something that I've experienced quite a lot, and I think like that presence of laughter is a really amazing thing to flatten things out. Although I will say that sometimes humour is not appropriate in every context. But I think the other thing that I think is interesting is that I think if something's hard or difficult or somewhat stressful, I think it can still be enjoyable and playful. Because I think I think a lot of the time people will be like, like I think most artists aren't enjoying their work if it's easy to do, if you know what I mean. So I think sometimes that framework of joyful or playful can be thought of a bit more deeply as well. Thank you, Ramesh. And we have another question from Patty Chihade who has a gallery called Praxis Gallery in Adelaide. And she asks, Shannon, what do you do when the art isn't working and you're only a couple of weeks or days out of the opening night? That's a curveball, Shannon. No, but it's, it's an interesting one in the sense that potentially people, it's 
and and maybe oh, it's a, it's a tricky one because the there are relationships with with say gallerists or or um or people who who are in the position of organizing spaces that I think can, in there can be there can be just what what's needed you know something that where your the person at the gallery can be trusted to kind of like um to uh to sort of be able to drastically reshape a show um you can rely on them to to, to kind of say you know let's reverse and and, and hit a hit a different way on this project and and um I think for me I'm we're so okay so maybe I'm, I, I approach this with, from the context of an artist run space and understanding that generally our role is to provide a an, an, an architecture on which artists can present work on their own terms and in their own way in ways that they feel comfortable with uh, or also that their relationships with the people running the gallery is is as equal as possible there are obviously hierarchies present but that they that my role is as a is, a, is as a support structure and as a, as a force of, of encouragement and enthusiasm and, and kind of um, uh, trying to provide, I guess, elements that are needed. So, in a sense, if if the artist is is sort of if the artist is unhappy with where the show is at, that's that's where a kind of a, um, a process, not only of critique but also of 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 um, of, of enthusiasm, praise, and um, and a kind of a, um, a, 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 I guess a perhaps a, a way of working out what the what the issue is by talking around it, talking about practice, talking about their work and finding kind of um, uh, perhaps tangents of the work which actually have been, have become clouded, I suppose, in terms of a way towards a project. And actually often it's because of other pressures that are getting in the way of, of, of what is in fact the core of the practice, whether that's concern about, you know, the, um, the, the presentability or the professionalness of the install or that you're worried that actually that you're trying to position yourself for commercial representation and in fact, that's kind of making your your work be presented in a way that's totally alien from its um from it from what your kind of um your conceptual basis is or your formal basis. So I think you know I guess I I I, I try not to think about in terms of, of success or failure of shows, but but whether the artist in a sense is happy with with the way it's headed. Um, and I think uh, our way is to sort of in a sense champion the choices that the artist makes in those projects and say no, it's not. You're judging this in a way from from your perspective, either if you're if you're bringing a curatorial eye to it as a tastemaker that says this artist is a good artist, or this artist is is sort of you know still has some work to do before they arrive. So I think our role is not to be that person, but to try to support the artist to pursue a, a tangent practice and be happy with that when it comes to the public. Thank you so much, Nana. That's such a beautiful response. With you know, it's so caring and genuine, which I think has been a theme that has been throughout everyone's discussion tonight. So thank you very much. I think we've come to the end of this session, which I don't really want it to end because you've all been so wonderfully intelligent and genuine and you've really shared your experiences with us. So I really thank you for that. So thank you, Shannon, for steering such a beautiful conversation. It was so fantastically thought out and so generous. So thank you kindly. And thank you to Elias and Kay and Ramesh for sharing your experiences and being really honest. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Revision podcast series recorded on Ghana Country. This series is brought to you by Guildhouse, our supporting partners and session speakers. Please head to our website guildhouse.org.au for more information on the series and our artistic collaborations with and professional development opportunities for Australian artists. Revision was developed with support from Australia Council for the Arts, the Day Family Foundation and Creative Partnerships Australia and has continued through the generous philanthropic support of the Guildhouse Creative Visionaries.